Section number four of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 1, Chapter 1 of Alchemy, Part 4. As the alchemists were assiduous workmen, as they mixed all the metals, salts, and etc., with which they were acquainted, in various ways with each other, and subjected such mixtures to the action of heat in close vessels, their labors were occasionally repaid by the discovery of new substances, possessed of much greater activity than any with which they were previously acquainted. In this way they were led to the discovery of sulfuric, nitric, and muriatic acids, these when known were made to act upon the metals solutions of the metals were obtained and this gradually led to the knowledge of various metalline salts and preparations which were introduced with considerable advantage into medicine thus the alchemists by their absurd pursuits gradually formed a collection of facts which led ultimately to the establishment of scientific chemistry on this account it will be proper to notice in this place such of them as appeared in europe during the darker ages and acquired the highest reputation either on account of their skill as physicians or their celebrity as chemists one the first alchemist who deserves notice is albertus magnus or albert groot a german who was born it is supposed in the year eleven ninety three at bolstite and died in the year twelve eighty two when very young he is said to have been so remarkable for his dullness that he became the jest of his acquaintances he studied the sciences at padua and afterwards taught at cologne and finally in paris he travelled through all germany as provincial of the order of dominican monks visited rome and was made bishop of Ratisbon but his passion for science induced him to give up his bishopry and return to a cloister at cologne where he continued till his death albertus was acquainted with all the sciences cultivated in his time he was at once a theologian a physician and a man of the world he was an astronomer and an alchemist and even dipped into magic and necromancy his works are very voluminous they were collected by petra jami and published at leiden in twenty-one folio volumes in sixteen fifty one his principal alchemistical tracts are the following one de rebus metallicis et mineralibus two de alchimia three secretorum tractatus four breve compendium de ortu metallorum five concordantia philosophorum de lapide six compositum de compositus seven liber octo capitum de philosophorum lapide most of these tracts have been inserted in the theatrum chemicum they are in general plain and intelligible in his treatise de alchimia for example he gives distinct account of all the chemical substances known in his time and of the manner of obtaining them he mentions also the apparatus then employed by chemists and the various processes by which they had occasion to perform i may notice the most remarkable facts and opinions which i have observed in turning over these treatises he was of the opinion that all metals are composed of sulphur and mercury 
and endeavored to account for the diversity of metals partly by the difference in the purity and partly by the difference in the proportions of the sulphur and mercury of which they are composed he thought that water existed also as a constituent of all metals he was acquainted with the water bath employed alembics for distillation and aludels for sublimation and he was in the habit of employing various lutes the composition of which he describes he mentions alum and caustic alkali and seems to have known the alkaline basis of cream of tartar he knew the method of purifying the precious metals by means of lead and of gold by cementation and likewise the method of trying the purity of gold and of distinguishing pure from impure gold he mentions red lead metallic arsenic and liver of sulphur he was acquainted with green vitriol and iron pyrites he knew that arsenic renders copper white and that sulphur attacks all the metals except gold it is said by some that he was acquainted with gunpowder but nothing indicating such knowledge occurs in any of his writings that i have had an opportunity of perusing two albertus is said to have had for a pupil while he taught in paris the celebrated thomas aquinas a dominican who studied at bologna rome and naples and distinguished himself still more in divinity and scholastic philosophy than in alchemy he wrote one thesaurum alchemy secretissium two secreta alchemia magnalia three de esse et essentia mineralium and perhaps some other works which i have not seen these works so far as i have perused them are exceedingly obscure and in various places unintelligible some of the terms still employed by modern chemists occur for the first time in the writings of thomas aquinas thus the term amalgam still employed to denote a compound of mercury with another metal occurs in them and i have not observed it in any earlier author three soon after albertus magnus flourished roger bacon by far the most illustrious the best informed and the most philosophical of all the alchemists he was born in twelve fourteen in the county of somerset after studying in oxford and afterward in paris he became a cordelier friar and devoting himself to philosophical investigations his discoveries notwithstanding the pains which he took to conceal them made such a noise that he was accused of magic and his brethren in consequence threw him into prison he died it is said in the year twelve eighty four though sprengel fixes the year of his death to be twelve eighty five his writings display a degree of knowledge and extent of thought scarcely credible if we consider the time when he wrote the darkest period of the dark ages in his small treatise de mirabali protestae artis et naturae he begins by pointing out the absurdity of believing in magic necromancy charms or any of those similar opinions which were at that time universally prevalent he points out the various ways in which mankind are deceived by jugglers ventriloquists and etc mentions the advantages which physicians may derive from acting on the imaginations of their patients by means of charms amulets and infallible remedies he affirms that many of those things which are considered as supernatural are merely so because mankind in general are unacquainted with natural philosophy 
To illustrate this, he mentions a great number of natural phenomena, which had been reckoned miraculous, and concludes with several secrets of his own, which he affirms to be still more extraordinary imitations of some of the most singular processes of nature. These he delivers in the enigmatical style of the times, induced, as he tells us, partly by the conduct of other philosophers, partly by the propriety of the thing, and partly by the danger of speaking too plainly. From an attentive perusal of his works, many of which have been printed, it will be seen that Bacon was a great linguist, being familiar with Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and Arabic, and that he had perused the most important books at the time existing in all these languages. He was also a grammarian. He was well versed in the theory and practice of perspective. He understood the use of convex and concave glasses, and the art of making them. The camera obscura, burning glasses, and the powers of the telescope were known to him. He was well versed in geography and astronomy. He knew the great error in the Julian calendar, assigned the cause, and proposed the remedy. He understood chronology well. He was a skillful physician and an able mathematician, logician, metaphysician, and theologist. But it is as a chemist that he claims our attention here. The following is a list of his chemical writings, as given by Gemellan, the whole of which I have never had an opportunity of seeing. 1. Speculum Alchemy. 2. Epistola de Secretis Operibus Artis de Naturae et de Notiliate Magiae. 3. De Mirabali Protestate Artis et Naturae. 4. Medulla Alchemae. 5. De Arte Chemiae. 6. Brevorium Alchemiae. 7. Documente Alchemiae. 8. De Alchemisterium Artibus. 9. De Secretis. 10. De Rebus Metallicis. 11. De Sculpturis Lepidum. 12. De Philosophorum Lapide. 13. Opus Magis or Alchemia Major. 14. Brevarium de Dono Dei. 15. Verbum Abbreviatum de Leone Veridi. 16. Secretum Secretorum. 17. Tractatus Trium Verborum. 18. Speculum Secretorum. A number of these were collected together and published at Frankfurt in 1603 under the title of Rogeri Baconis Angli de Arte Chemiae Scripta in a small duodecimo volume. The Opus Magis was published in London in 1733 by Dr. Jebb in a folio volume. Several of his tracts still continue in manuscript in the Harleian and Bodleian libraries at Oxford. He considered the metals as compound of mercury and sulfur. Gemellan affirms that he was aware of the peculiar nature of manganese, and that he was acquainted with bismuth. But after perusing the whole of the Speculum Alchemiae, the third chapter of which he quotes as containing the facts on which he founds his opinion, I cannot find any certain allusion either to manganese or bismuth. The term magnesia indeed occurs, but nothing is said respecting its nature, and long after the time of Periclesis, bismuth, bismatum, was considered as an impure kind of lead. That he was acquainted with the composition and properties of gunpowder admits of no doubt. In the sixth chapter of his epistle, De Secretis Operibus Artis de Naturae et de Nolitate Magiae, the following passage occurs. 
for sounds like thunder and coruscations like lightning may be made in the air and they may be rendered even more horrible than those of nature herself a small quantity of matter properly manufactured not larger than the human thumb may be made to produce a horrible noise and coruscation and this may be done many ways by which a city or an army may be destroyed as was the case when gideon and his men broke their pitchers and exhibited their lamps fire issuing out of them with inestimable noise destroyed an infinite number of the army of the midianites and in the eleventh chapter of the same epistle occurs the following passage mix together saltpetre luro vopo ver con utriet and sulphur and you will make thunder and lightning if you know the method of mixing them here all the ingredients of gunpowder are mentioned except charcoal which is doubtless concealed under the barbarous terms luru vopo vir con utriet but though bacon was acquainted with gunpowder we have no evidence that he was the inventor how far the celebrated greek fire concerning which so much has been written was connected with gunpowder it is impossible to say but there is good evidence to prove that gunpowder was known and used in china before the commencement of the christian era and lord bacon is of opinion that the thunder and lightning and magic stated by the macedonians to have been exhibited in oxydrix when it was besieged by alexander the great was nothing else than gunpowder now as there is pretty good evidence that the use of gunpowder had been introduced into spain by the moors at least as early as the year thirteen forty three and as roger bacon was acquainted with arabic it is by no means unlikely that he might have become acquainted with the mode of making the composition and with its most remarkable properties by perusing some arabian writer with whom we are at present unacquainted barbour in his life of bruce informs us that guns were first employed by the english at the battle of Wearwater, which was fought in thirteen twenty seven about forty years after the death of bacon two novelties that day they saw that forth in scotland had been the name timbers for helms was the ain that they thought then of great beauty and also wonder for to see the other crackies were of war that they before heard never air in another part of the same book we have the phrase guineas for crackies showing that the term crackies was used to denote a gun or a musket of some form or other it is curious that the english would seem to have been the first european nation that employed gunpowder in war they used it in the battle of crecy fought in thirteen forty six when it was unknown to the french and it is supposed to have contributed materially to the brilliant victory which was obtained four raymond lully is said to have been a scholar and a friend of roger bacon he was a most voluminous writer and acquired as high a reputation as any of the alchemists according to mutius he was born in majorica in the year twelve thirty five his father was senescial to king james the first of aragon in his younger days he went into the army but afterwards held a situation in the court of his sovereign devoting himself to science he soon acquired a competent knowledge of latin and arabic after studying in paris he got the degree of doctor conferred upon him 
he entered into the order of the Minorites, and induced King James to establish a cloister of that order in Menorca. He afterwards travelled through Italy, Germany, England, Portugal, Cyprus, Armenia, and Palestine. He is said by Mutius to have died in the year 1315, and to have been buried in Majorica. The following epitaph is given by Olus Borricius as engraven on his tomb. Raimundus Lulli, Eugis Pia Dogmata Nulli, Sunt Odiosa Vira, Jacet Hic Immormor Miro, Hic M. et Sisi Compi Corspit Sine Sensibus Esse. MCC in these lines denote 1300, and P, which is the 15th letter of the alphabet, denotes 15, so that if this epithet be genuine, it follows that his death took place in the year 1315. It seems scarcely necessary to notice the story that Raymond Lully made a present to Edward, King of England, of six millions of pieces of gold, to enable him to make war on the Saracens, which some that monarch employed, contrary to the intentions of the donor, in his French wars. This story cannot apply to Edward III, because in 1315, at the time of Raymond's death, that monarch was only three years of age. It can scarcely apply to Edward II, who ascended the throne in 1305, but who had no opportunity of making war, either on the Saracens or French, being totally occupied in opposing the intrigues of his queen and rebellious subjects, to whom he ultimately fell a sacrifice. Edward I made war, both upon the Saracens and the French, and lived during the time of Raymond, but his wars with the Saracens were finished before he ascended the throne, and during the whole of his reign he was too much occupied with his projected conquest of Scotland to pay much serious attention to any French war whatever. The story, therefore, cannot apply to any of the three Edwards, and cannot be true. Raymond Lully is said to have been stoned to death in Africa for preaching Christianity in the year 1315. Others will have it that he was alive in England in the year 1332, at which time his age would have been 97. End of section 4. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com.